Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to Gen Z. Gen Z is Generation Crypto. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how Web2 and Web3 brands are building for these audiences. I'm Sam Ewan from Coindesk, and our co-host is Avery Akinini from Vayner3. Avery, we are back again. So excited to see you. I know you've had a busy week. I have also had a busy week, but it is Gen C time and this is what we do. Thanks, Sam. I'm so excited to be here. I think today is going to be one for the books. Really excited for these guests. So first off, you know, there was a Rihanna concert the other day and the Super Bowl happened around it. I wanted to get your thoughts, one, on the halftime show, two, on kind of This felt a lot less crypto than last year, as we kind of know, and I want to get your thoughts on. And then there was a kind of very strange NFT advertisement in it. So talk to us, you know, your takes on the Super Bowl and the team that you want to win. Did they become victorious? Yes. So, you know, at VaynerX, the Super Bowl is literally our Super Bowl. It's one of the busiest weeks of the year for us. The sort of core part of the Vayner Ecosystem is an advertising agency called Vayner Media. We had three different spots this year, two for Pepsi and one for Planters. We had a lot of different activations, some cool stuff with Crown Royal and many other brands that we were supporting on social and sort of integrated campaign efforts. So we had a very big week, very exciting times for us. I think the spots landed really well. It was not the Crypto Bowl that we saw last year. And I think we were expecting that. Last year's Super Bowl was sort of peak of crypto summer. There were a lot of dollars flying around. And this year, we actually didn't see any crypto advertisers returning to the big game in a direct way. But what we did see was a lot of integrated efforts. And, you know, my team put together a little something showing like, you know, Toritos was participating, Intuit was participating, Reddit was participating, NFL. Crown Royal. And of course, we had the Limit Break commercial, which while not a crypto company directly, they did have a QR code where millions of people could mint a free NFT. Yeah, that was, I think, the most head-scratching commercial for many people for two reasons. One is, you know, they put this ad up with a QR code. A ton of people went on. I read a statistic on Twitter the other day that said 35% of them were new wallets that were created. The rest were kind of, so it was speaking maybe a little bit towards the crypto natives who at least know how to mint an NFT before, you know, it kind of gets sold out. 
But the thing that was also interesting was because their site got overloaded, they then redirected all of the web traffic for the QR code to the founder's Twitter handle. And so there was all of this sort of commentary going on that, you know, they spent $7 million for their founder to get 100,000 more followers on Twitter, which maybe the economics don't exactly work out. It felt a little inside baseball to me, but I think it was sort of an interesting moment. But I think what you talked about is the right thing, which is, you know, crypto and NFTs don't have to be the center point. They can be just an additive layer. So I know you guys were working, you know, uh, I think you sent me the Crown Royal piece on the crowns that they did. Doritos had the Decentraland play. They gave away Mebit and also Clone. That's true. I love Mebits. I think the thing that's just interesting is that we're just starting to see more and more that just one part of the quiver of marketing opportunity is, hey, if you want to play in the Web3 space with us, come along. Is that kind of a correct take, do you think? A million percent. And I think if we look back like a year ago, people were looking at these as kind of siloed different programs. And we continue to see that. I mean, we're about to talk to Adam and Andy about what they're building at Forum 3 with Starbucks. And I think that is its own program. It's like has its own name. But what we're seeing a lot of is marketers sort of integrating their Web3 strategies into what they're doing from a marketing perspective, right? You know, broadening out sort of the definition of exactly how they're including Web3. This year's Super Bowl was the third most watched live TV event ever. So pretty significant viewership. But we're also seeing a lot of second screening. So, you know, Roblox did activations, like, as you mentioned, Decentraland had activations. We're also seeing marketers sort of complement what's happening live with something that's happening in the metaverse. And maybe that's the real takeaway, which is don't make it all about crypto. The audience may not want that, but give them an opportunity to play and get a little sort of value in their attention. Then maybe that's the true unlock there. Did you watch the halftime show? Of course, I watched the halftime show. Bad Gal Riri was getting everyone, you know, chatting with their speculation. Is she pregnant? Is she not? What's she going to do? Is the red coat coming off? The red coat stayed on. I still think it was an iconic performance. And my favorite part of it was, of course, the Fendi product placement and the fact that her dancers' outfits were also available for sale the next day. They looked a lot like painters' outfits you could get at Home Depot. But the performance was wonderful. I'm a big Rihanna stan. But the thing that was really interesting was that to compliment that this week, there was a project where one of the producers of her song, She Better Have My Money, which was the first song she opened up with, had basically tokenized about 1% of his royalties on that specific song. 300 NFTs were sold. Each one represented a 300th of a slice of 1% of his royalty slice. And I thought it was just really interesting, the idea of owning, you know, in essence, in perpetuity, a royalty on a song that you might have a big passion for. With that said, there were some interesting metrics that they were trying to sell on the site about it in saying that, you know, they were predicting a 6% return on your investment, kind of a lot of financial stuff that felt a little out of place. And then when, you know, at least some sort of back of the envelope folks I know in the music business started to calculate, they were saying, oh, this thing is, you know, at least the way they're talking about it, it would probably, you know, drive you about $6 a year in Spotify at current spins. And for something that costs, I think it was $250 to get. The economics may not have been there. But again, I just wonder if people like the idea of buying into the Rihanna universe in any way they can. Did you have any thoughts on that NFT? 
I think that's exactly it. People want to feel like they own something, right? You know, to sort of continue our conversation on football, the same way people are part owners of the Packers, the Packers is a team that is fan-owned. They're very proud of that. I think that that might be the same sort of emotional connection that people feel to owning part of a royalty song. And who knows if they keep their NFT for like 500 years, maybe it'll pay off and be ROI positive. But regardless, they feel like they're a part of something. You know, it feels a little bit more like band and art collectible, but you also get to say oh, I own this small sliver of this song that I love. And I think that emotionally is probably worth the spend. Last I looked, I think they were going for just under one ETH on OpenSea, which meant your $250, investment was now worth $1,500. So at the least, you're potentially getting value that way. Love that. Final story I want to talk before we talk to Adam and Andy is about Pharrell. So Pharrell, also in the music business, was just announced as the head of Louis Vuitton as their sort of the men's fashion creative director, kind of taking over the role of Virgil. Less interested in hearing your take on that, more interested in hearing your take on, he also was named the sort of brand director of the Doodles, which is a Web3 community and project that's got a lot of fans and a lot of folks in the space excited about. And, you know, we started to see some sort of negative takes of, does this mean he's walking away from that project? And I guess I wanted to get your thoughts on the fact of what it means when celebrities get attached to these sort of NFT Web3 projects. You know, is that in essence really just trying to bring status and attention to a project or do we really expect them to be actively involved? Yeah, well, it's a good question. And I think that anyone who's familiar with business and who's familiar with celebrities and talent know that many celebs and sort of people of influence are involved in a ton of different things some ways very hands-on, some ways a little bit more tangentially. And I think that's like an example of sort of what we're seeing with Pharrell. I'm sure his full-time 40 hours a week job is not working at the Doodles. However, I'm sure he has an advisory role. I know he's working with them on some music stuff. I know he's, you know, promoted some of the things that they've been working on and works sort of closely with Julian and Evan and Scott and co. At the same time, I'm sure he's going to be very involved in the Louis Vuitton sort of men's stuff as a creative director. Pharrell is a timeless icon. He actually joined us last year at VCon and, you know, just did an incredible job sort of enlightening the VFriends community with how he thinks about things and why he has gotten into this, you know, space of Web3 in such a big way. But to me, it's a little bit of and not or. I think he can do both. I mean, I'm also someone who works for Gary Vaynerchuk, who is, I think, CEO of about 25 different companies. And he manages to do all of those. And I believe Pharrell can do the same thing. And to me... The more sort of people of influence who are legitimately involved with legitimate Web3 programs and projects, the better. I think Pharrell, sort of his star rising helps the doodle star rise, kind of tide lifts all boats. And, you know, I'm optimistic about this. And I think it's a big announcement for him and certainly doesn't preclude him from doing anything with the doodles. Maybe we're going to see some type of doodles LV collab. I mean, that's what I think some people were speculating. There was a kind of saltier side. You know, I was looking at this tweet from Mason Rothschild, who was the artist who lost the big Hermes lawsuit last week that we had chatted about. And he tweeted that he said, I, for one, am starting to believe that the big hires in Web3 are some of the most meaningless titles in any industry. And I took that as, you know, obviously someone who's also a little anti-brand right now. But I do sort of wonder if the idea, especially within Web3, where so much focus still is on floor price, is this idea, if we can give X person this much money to align to our brand, does that 20% up our floor price, which makes us all some more money. It makes our holders feel happy. And I don't think that's a long-term brand solution. No, and I also don't think it's a realistic expectation of someone who is a musician and a designer and a creative and involved in many other things 
think oftentimes in this sort of microcosm of, you know, crypto Twitter, it seems like that's all people are doing all day, every day. And the reality for talent is they're working on a lot of different programs and projects, and they won't be able to dedicate like 100% of their time to one thing, most likely. At least that's my experience in working with talent. I think you hit it on the nose right there. All right. After the break, we have two amazing guests. This is our first double guest show. We have both Adam Brotman and Andy Sack. Both have had unbelievable careers before they got together to start Forum 3. Forum 3 is a consultancy and a kind of agency that is building out Web3 ecosystems. They are most notable right now for building out the Starbucks Odyssey project, which I think a lot of people are so excited about understanding what's going to happen. It is one of the biggest brands building in Web3 right now. So after the break, we will talk to Adam and Andy. Calling all early stage crypto, blockchain, and Web3 startups, teams, and builders. Apply to Coindesk PitchFest, powered by Google Cloud, and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha Passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on Coindesk, and an invitation to present at Coindesk's Private Investor Summit, Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest. All right, so we are back with Adam Brotman and Andy Sack from Forum3. They're both co-founders, they're co-CEOs. They have another partner, Joe, who's not on with us today, but that's the team behind Forum3. For anyone who doesn't know, Forum3 is building some amazing tools to bring brands into Web3, especially Starbucks, but also I know they're deep in some other amazing projects. First off, I would just, you know, love for you both to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and then also how you guys met. I'm Andy Sack. I'm best friends with Adam Brotman for 20 years. Um, professionally speaking, I'm a Web1 entrepreneur. Started my first internet company in 1994, switched sides and became a venture capitalist. I have a venture fund, a Web2 venture fund here in Seattle called Founders Co-op. And I spent six years working with Satya Nadella at Microsoft, consulting on innovation and digital transformation at Microsoft, but prior to starting Keen Capital, which is a Web3 fund of funds, which led to the creation of Forum3. And I'm Adam Brotman, also best friends with Andy Sack for 20 years, which is my claim to fame. I've actually been an entrepreneur a couple times in my career, but kind of evenly split my career between being an entrepreneur and being, a, I guess you call it an executive. So I was an entrepreneur right out of law school and out of being a lawyer and started and ran a company in the digital media space for about 10 years and then went on to be the chief digital officer at Starbucks for about 10 years. Went to J. Crew from there as president and eventually co-CEO for a bit and then came back to being an entrepreneur again and I'm excited to be here with you guys. Amazing. Well, thank you both for joining us. I know y'all are always cooking up a bunch of cool things from mentorship to investments to building new products and advising many companies. So really excited for you to share with our Gen C listeners a little bit more about yourselves. So, you know, Adam, I think I first got to know you when you were actually still at J. Crew and you were, you know, you are a marketing leader. You'd been sort of on the inside at the corporate track. And I think one of the things that you're most well known for is your work starting to build Starbucks's original loyalty program in the mobile app. What got you interested in being an entrepreneur again and helping to sort of build this Web3 loyalty program? Was it Andy? Was it something you saw? What got you to move from corporate marketer to entrepreneur again? 
It's a great question because, you know, having been an entrepreneur before and I understood that it's not for the faint of heart, you know, there's something sort of exciting and impactful even about being able to build things at a company with big scale. In some senses, you can have your best of both worlds if you get lucky, like I did, where you can, you know, be a little bit intrapreneurial, but also have a big company behind you and a big brand, which really helps. But what happened is in 2021, I was back to being entrepreneurial again. I had left J. Crew. I was CEO of Brightloom and Andy was starting a venture fund. And I, Andy and I had always wanted to work together our entire friendship. And we're kind of looking for the right opportunity. And serendipitously, Andy had been trying to get me into crypto and into thinking about blockchain and Web3 for a while when he decided to start a fund called Keen Capital that was going to focus on Web3 as a venture fund. And he asked me to invest in it and be his special advisor. And it was kind of an excuse for us to work together, to be honest, on both of our parts. And so I, I happily jumped in. I didn't know anything about this space. And long story short, which has a fun ending, which is that we're here with you guys today as co-founders of Forum 3, is that I just totally got red-pilled and went down the rabbit hole, you know, thanks to Andy. And you know, it was to learn the space in general. Honestly, we kind of discovered NFTs together in that time. And while Andy had this crypto background and had been in the space for a while, NFTs were just starting to kind of become a thing to pay attention to at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021. And even though they'd been around for a few years, and at that, in my learning journey to be to work with Andy on his Web3 fund, I was like, man, check out these digital collectibles. And I got you know, really excited about what could happen with a programmable digital collectible in the context of a brand. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that later. And Andy immediately was like, yeah, I think you're right. I think we should dig into this more. And we started to like talk every day, which wasn't, you know, we didn't need to talk every day from a business perspective about Web3 just because of this fund, but we did. And we both just decided like, we got to do something together in the space. And it culminated in being entrepreneurial again. Andy, I'm interested just because Adam has mentioned it. So what was your red pill moment? Because it seems like you've been in for quite a while. And when was it? Because, you know, there's folks who've been in space for a long time. I was founder and managing partner of Founders Co-op, which was a venture fund I started in 2010 in Seattle, seed stage venture fund, a couple hundred million under management. And just in the ordinary course of, being in that business. I was doing that while also I brought Techstars to Seattle and I was the second employee of Techstars. And so in the ordinary course of sort of managing Techstars and that venture fund, I would go to the Valley pretty regularly. And um, I was at a Jason Calacanis launch event in the wine country in Sonoma. And I sat next to Brock Pierce at dinner. I didn't know Brock prior to that. We sat at dinner and for the next hour and a half, two hours, I was sort of entranced with his background. I mean, his uh, charming, kind of a crazy background, childhood actor. And he cornered the market, I think, on Wizards of the Coast gold. I mean, basically, end of dinner, he was like, go to Coinbase, buy Bitcoin and Ethereum. I didn't do it that night, but kind of 60 days later, I did that, and that was 2015. And I was always, both as an entrepreneur and as an investor, intrigued with fintech. And so it was pretty natural fit for me. And I remember telling Adam in 2017 while he was at Starbucks, hey, you should pay attention to this blockchain thing. This is real. You should do a project on supply chain at Starbucks with blockchain. And it wasn't until 2020 that he was like, oh, this is interesting. I love that. And I think that sort of what you're talking about, Andy, is 
Something that a lot of marketers probably were familiar with as well, because in 2015, everyone was starting to hear about crypto. I too got set up with my first Coinbase, which I subsequently forgot about for like several years until I rethought about it again in 2020 because it was the pandemic and I was bored. And then that got me back into it. But what was that sort of jump of an early interest in blockchain, an early interest in crypto to understanding that this was an unlock for marketers. Because Forum 3, I think, has a very specific focus on Web3 for loyalty. How did that connection come to be? So, I mean, do you know Brock Pierce? Not personally, but I know who he is. Yes. Okay. I mean, he is a character in all the delightful aspects of character, charming and passionate. And so, like, the dinner was the dinner. And, like, you know, as a Web2 VC, you sort of have to follow your hunches and your nose and pattern recognition. And so I made the investment, okay, fine. And what was interesting was that I made it as an individual because my fund, we couldn't take tokens. I mean, I was super interested in blockchain and the technology and its implications. And I started paying attention to like the smart contract capability, but I was more interested in DeFi and the financial revolution than I was crypto kitties and NFTs, even though I was paying attention at that point. It was Adam in January of 2020 the coalescence of the idea behind Keen Capital, which was like, oh, you know, gee, I'm a Web1 entrepreneur. What would I learn during Web1? What I learned was if someone had come to me and said, hey, I have this basket of venture capitalists. We're investing in this new technology. It's called the internet. Do you want to invest? The answer was like, hell yes. And you kind of like at any point in the 90s up to and including 2000, that was a good investment. And so I set out with Keen Capital to do that for Web3 and the blockchain, Adam came along and it was really his experience at Starbucks with rewards that he came and was like, you know, I think the real application here are NFTs. These are amazing, you know, and he was the one who saw the connection between brands, storytelling, smart contracts and NFTs. And we just happened to hit and have capital right at the time that Top Shot was launching. And so we got swept up in NFT summer and we basically opened, like I have this fund of funds, but we had permission and were, you know, responsibility for managing capital. We started buying NFTs on our own trading desk because there were no NFT funds at that time. And so it was really Adam and my collaboration and we just sort of fell into the rabbit hole together. I'm interested in, because you mentioned, you know, Adam, your experience with Starbucks and building that loyalty program. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the most successful loyalty programs that's ever been in big business. You know, I was wondering, one, if you could just give us some stats on it for anyone who might not be involved. Also, the mobile usage is like astounding. But secondly, then tell us about what was the insight that said, hey, this might actually be even better in Web3. Well, the Starbucks loyalty program and app you have to almost take it market by market. I'll give you some stats from the US. You know, Starbucks themselves, you know, they're a global company. I'll probably get this slightly wrong, but they're in something like 80 countries and have something like 35,000 locations or something like that around the globe. And they've got, you know, some of the markets they operate themselves and they don't. But the truth is they probably have a loyalty program and a mobile app. And my team and I, we were a global function and we worked around the globe to build up what we called the digital flywheel, which was a combination of the loyalty program, the Starbucks card and payment program, the mobile app, mobile payment, and mobile ordering. And we built that up over, you know, we had a great team and we worked on it over several years. And a fun stat or a fun piece of trivia is, you know, we were a leader in mobile payments 
before Apple Pay even came out. And it took Apple Pay until not that long ago, <laughs> pretty recently, to surpass the number of mobile payment transactions over Starbucks. And now today in the US, let's just take the US business. In the US business, and this is public information from what Starbucks reports, the loyalty program and mobile app account for combined, you know, for approximately 60% of all of the transactions at Starbucks. They literally use the app to order in one out of every four transactions, but the app and loyalty is, you know, 60%, 60%. I want to say it's like 30 million active members they just announced and, you know, probably more like 50 million total members. So it's a pretty big program. Very successful. Customers love it. The way it works is that you use your app or use your loyalty account to buy your coffee at Starbucks and you get stars. And then those stars you can convert into free food and drink and other things at Starbucks. This is a great program and Starbucks does a really nice job of running it and it's tied into all these convenience features. To answer your question, the thing that actually got me thinking about Web3 and just in general, like how do you evolve this? Is After I had left Starbucks and Andy and I were discovering Web3 and NFTs, I was really intrigued by the fact that you could have a digital asset that you could provably own that also had like, art and storytelling and metadata. So it had a collectability aspect to it, and then which gave it an additional kind of intrinsic value potential. It would form identity. So it could actually work to allow for things like token-gated access. So it could double as an access pass. And then I noticed community forming around it. If you think about, you know, when Andy and I got really into the space at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, and we started getting involved in the community, you know, we rolled up our shirt sleeves. We're like, we want to invest in this stuff. We want to learn this stuff. We want to be a part of it. So we started joining discords and participating and getting on NFT Twitter and, you know, really learning and meeting people and, you know, using the technology. And what we found, there was all this community and all this storytelling and all these things that were happening, even gamification. If you think about a lot of what happens in these projects early on and even today, think about checks. And there's a lot of like, gamification happening. And so gamification, storytelling, community ownership, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And in my opinion, it was what was missing from loyalty programs kind of post-pandemic or in the middle of pandemic. If you think about how the consumer had changed, particularly the younger generations, but all generations had become hyper-digitized, had become expecting, I think, a more participatory engagement strategy from a brand in general, and just in from anybody in their life. And so I was looking at loyalty programs, even ones as successful as Starbucks and saying, you know, they're missing these other elements. And here's Web3. That's this proof of concept, this early thing. And look at all the fun and all the engagement and all the storytelling and community that's happening here. Like, why not take that innovation and all those things and bring them into a traditional loyalty program? And I'll just say one other quick thing, which is that Starbucks, every December, going back to when I was chief digital officer, has a program called Starbucks for Life. It's a one-month game that they run that's incredibly fun and incredibly successful. And you basically, during the month of December at you know US stores or whatever, if you use your app, you get like these shakes of the snow globe in the game. And this was in addition to the fact that you're getting your normal stars. This is not instead of the current loyalty program. This was an additional game layer that they added on for a month. You would get this opportunity to you collect these stamps that you would get from the shake of the snow globe. And if you've got the right combination of stamps, you could win prizes like Starbucks for life or Starbucks for a month. But then at the end of December, poof, it would just go away. And I kept thinking, wait a minute, like, this is cool. Like, this is a cool game layer. It didn't have community. 
it didn't have intense gamification or storytelling, and it had no ownership. I didn't own those stamps. And Andy and I would talk about it. I'd go, Andy, check out these screenshots of Starbucks for Life. Like, imagine if you could own those stamps. And what if they had like utility and they were game pieces and there was community around it? And that's what we were talking about in the summer of 2021. If you think about it, that's the genesis of Forum 3. We met Joe, who's Bunch, on Twitter. And we said, hey, you know, he's like deep into the space. And we really respected what he was doing. We're like, hey, why don't you join us? We're going to form a company to actually get after this with brands and, you know, not just think this would be cool, but actually see if we can convince some brands to do this. And that's sort of the genesis story of Forum 3, but also a long-winded way of answering your question. I love that you hired someone from Twitter, from a sort of crypto Twitter NFT native to help you understand the culture as well. I think that's really astute because a lot of, you know, enterprises come in here and there are certain things that are native to the culture that you've helped Starbucks really tap into as well. Small things like, you know, the gamification, but the discord, the community aspect, which I think is really cool and is really smart. I've also hired a ton of people I met on crypto Twitter in the past two years and Never thought I would be saying that, right? But you know, both of you have sort of seen the inside of these Fortune 500 companies. As you mentioned, Starbucks is really the pioneer of like mobile loyalty. There are plenty of QSRs and plenty of Fortune 500 companies who don't have loyalty programs that are anywhere near as successful. How ready do you think a lot of these Fortune 500 enterprises are to embrace this new sort of Web3 paradigm? I think there's genuine interest, like sort of shockingly, when I say shockingly, you know, we've had the Luna crash in the summer. We had Sam Bankman freed. It's very clear that Web3 is filled with scams, lies, pyramid schemes, deceit, like bad things. And on top of that, I would say crappy consumer experiences. So you combine those two things. And at the same time, you take Adam's tee up of, wow, there's these digital assets, ownership, there's storytelling collectibles, like you put those things together. And I think marketers go, oh, there's something interesting here. What happened during the pandemic is the consumer moved. And I think it's not back to where we were. So you've got the rise of remote work, you've got a new consumer. And I think marketers are trying to are scratching their head going, gee, these loyalty programs and what we used to do is sort of table stakes. And Web3 has a lot of the potential. So I actually think we're sitting on the number one use case for blockchain and Web3. And it's a result really of the demand shift that occurred during the pandemic. Yeah, I think one thing that you guys are circling on that I couldn't agree more with is that marketers understand NFTs. Crypto is a little abstract, right? For marketers, it's like a payment vehicle and CFOs might understand it, but it wasn't something that like made a lot of sense for marketers versus introducing a visual and a storytelling in a community aspect, which a marketer is like, oh yeah, I get that. That actually matters to my business. But Adam, how ready do you think a lot of these marketers are to actually jump in? Because I agree there's a lot of curiosity, but there's varying levels of appetite to activate. I think they're very ready in concept. So to your point, Avery, I think you said it well, like this sort of like application layer, if you will, as opposed to the technology layer, they get it, right? But when you actually get to the practicality, Andy mentioned earlier, and I think he's right. I mean, Andy, when he said there's a lot of these, you know, things that happen in the space and there's kind of broken UX, that's true. But if you actually break it down, the marketers, they understand the concept of an NFT. Most of them don't understand the technology behind it. The problem is they shouldn't have to, right? You don't go in and like pitch a marketer on 
how they should do a promoted media campaign on Instagram, but they have to understand Python or something for them to be able to understand it. And it's not a perfect analogy, but marketers are not ready to try to learn the technology. They're not ready to try to teach and onboard their customers in you know wallet usage and safety techniques. They're not ready to have a conversation with treasury, tax, accounting, and legal about all of the risks associated potentially with how they're going to do this. So that's where we're at in the, I think, the cycle, which is a ton of interest, a ton of curiosity. And I'm hoping that Starbucks Odyssey can form an early case study, at least just to get people asking questions and understanding. So in that respect, I think it's, you know, a shameless plug for both Forum 3 and Starbucks Odyssey, which is that like, you know, that's part of where Andy and I and Joe and our firm Forum 3 kind of comes in is we get to sort of play this cool role of helping these brands to understand and to maybe design a program that would work for them, that can kind of thread that needle between their intellectual curiosity and excitement for this new tool and also for how it can come to life. And I would just say one other quick thought, which is that, and Andy hit on this, marketers today, they know something's changed. Like they know something's not working. We hear constantly about brands that are ready to change their loyalty program or revamp their loyalty program. And they're like, the consumer's not behaving the same way. There's also the iOS privacy changes. There's just a bunch of things have changed. And so I think Web3 is one tool, not the only tool that I think marketers should be thinking about when they think about how they can revamp their customer engagement strategy and their loyalty program. It just so happens to be a really freaking interesting one. And if you understand it and get your head around it, it's a powerful tool that marketers could start using. I hear folks talk about, like, why do we need specifically Web3 for this? That digital databases do a pretty good job of, you know, tallying points and it's kind of a known quantity. What's your response to, you know, having to have a new tech stack, to having to think through all the differences that Web3 brings? You know, is there an unlock that they should be thinking about? It's a fair question because you don't need Web3 or digital collectibles to have an intelligent, innovative, next-generation customer engagement strategy. You don't need it. If you took that away, if it never existed, you could still do a lot of things that involve storytelling, community, gamification, etc. I will tell you, though, that ownership changes the experience. And that's an emotional thing I'm talking about, not a technical thing. So if somebody believes that they own something, they own a digital collectible, they own a reward, they own it in such a way that they control it, they can decide to use it, they can give it away, they can sell it. It doesn't matter if they do any of those things. It's an emotional state. And the idea that it creates intrinsic value, I hope I'm using that word right, in the item as opposed to just extrinsic value. And the fact that you can own a digital collectible is sort of remarkable and truly own it is with self-custody. But you know, irrespective of that, like owning a digital asset that has these powers changes the experience, it changes the emotional experience of the consumer And I don't personally know of an easier way to own a digital asset than using blockchain technology. Maybe there's other ways you can do it, but I actually think it's pretty cool the way blockchain has evolved. You know, you can pick your blockchain of choice. I think Polygon is a great example. And the Ethereum ecosystem is a great example of like the underlying sort of way that it works, the interoperability, you know, the trending towards real decentralization. All of those things make somebody who takes the time to understand it feel like they own it. 
So to me, it's an emotional answer to your question, not a technical answer to your question. And I think the emotion of ownership changes the experience. It unlocks this intrinsic value. And now as a marketer, you can produce a product that's a digital product that can be owned by your customer, that can double as an access pass, enhance community, and foment storytelling. And like that's why blockchain is important. Without those things, you can do great things, but you can't do them as well as if you include Web3, in my humble opinion. I'll highlight two things that I'm, I think it starts with that emotional unlock for the consumer. But the two things that I think blockchain enables that Web2 does not is one is the interoperability, which Adam talked about. And two is I think, and hopefully Starbucks Odyssey is a proof point for this, is the business model unlock. But both of those are beneath the consumer unlock. And frankly, your question is a technical one. Now, on a technical basis, the answer is it's not necessary. <laughs> it's really not. But when you combine those three things, you can't do that in Web2. I love this. Thank you both for sharing those insights and the perspective that ownership changes that experience. And, you know, I agree. For the subset of like Web3 native users, I think it really does, but it's still really early days. There's probably fewer people who have an EVM compatible wallet than have the Starbucks app today, right? Like total. So it's still like you're sort of designing a product for these early adopters. Maybe we'll start with you, Andy. You know, you've been part of the previous iterations of the internet at Techstars. Like you talked about your experience in Web1 and Web2 and Web3. How do you think about balancing designing a product for early adopters with something that has the potential to scale to billions? I mean, that's really the perspective that both Adam and I bring, which is is like this, we fell into the rabbit hole of NFT summer in January 21. Really, the experience of buying and selling NFTs in and of itself is a game. <laughs> um, and that trading is a game, which is just sort of primary to the human behavior. And yet the Web3 user experience is completely broken. And so we talk a lot about Web 2.5. We are aware of and pay attention to the behaviors. And frankly, our third co-founder is a DGen, you know, blue blood G DGen Web3. But our focus is much more on the consumers of our brand partners, and in this case, Starbucks. And we are designing products that are focused on them, not on the DGen audience. Yeah. And you mentioned the business use cases, which I think is fascinating and is the reason that you know all of us are doing this podcast right now as we see a very real business opportunity for enterprises. Adam, can you share a little bit about that, sort of what you're seeing today already in the programs that you're working on and potentially some others you're seeing in the market? Yeah. What I'd say is that what we're seeing, thankfully, is that by introducing the concept of an ownable digital reward, an ownable digital collectible, you know, along with gamification, okay, I did this, I, you know, the brand asked me to sort of participate, I got this thing. And now like, well, I got this thing, I own it, like, that's interesting. The reason that we wanted to actually put a marketplace built into Starbucks Odyssey, for example, is that it was showing the normal consumer that doesn't know anything or want to care about Web3, the joy of digital collectibles, the joy of collecting, because all of a sudden, there's a built in marketplace. And I can see are people trading these things. And wow, like I got this thing for free and now it's got some value. But more importantly, it's like it doubles as an access pass. And what we're learning, I said that ownership changes the experience. There is a joy of collecting. Anyone who's ever collected anything, and we all collect something, let's be honest. Like even as kids, we collected baseball cards and you know bottle caps or whatever you collected, right? Like there's a joy in it. And so like infusing that kind of fun and joy and that emotional experience We've learned that that is actually working. Like we're seeing it at Starbucks Odyssey. We're seeing it in the response from the 
people that are playing. You know, we've been talking to some other brands and we've been doing some other stuff behind the scenes and we're learning that that can work. And Andy mentioned this, it unlocks this whole new network effect that we were used to seeing as we study Web3 and even just DeFi and crypto in general. Like we've seen what happens when people start to feel like they're invested in something, you've got an emotional attachment to something and like what that does to their sort of passion for a project and whatever. If you can put that into a consumer loyalty context, you've now just created like an entirely new type of flywheel. And that's some of the stuff that we're seeing. And, you know, it's super early. You can count on like two hands, like how many brands are sort of doing this in this like loyalty context. And like Andy said, we think this is like the killer use case in the space. Just to kind of wrap up and thank you guys both for giving us the time. This has been an incredible conversation. For the marketers, for the folks who are on the brand side who are thinking about this, who may not have played the way you guys played in you know, 2021 and understood this, you know, and also I think for those who might be skeptical about, you know, the fact that there's still so much speculative value in collectibles on the NFT side, which I think brands might be a little more scared of, you know, how are you convincing them? What's the sort of lessons that you're trying to say? No, this is still something to think about because, I mean, I don't think any brand is trying to build a board ape ecosystem. I think brands are trying to build a consistent, loyal following. But I think to your guys' point, people put a ton of value into the brands that they support in terms of money and social cred and all of that kind of stuff. It sounds like what you're saying is you guys get the opportunity to extract that back out to them in a way that sort of feels more deterministic and rewarding. So what are the two or three things that you sort of say to say, this is why you should consider Web3? Well, I think you just hit on one, Sam, which is if you design your program correctly, if you design the way you're going to introduce I'll call it Web3, into what you're going to do with loyalty or customer engagement correctly, it should feel to the consumer that you're giving, not extracting. It should feel additive and it should feel fun. And if you do those three things correctly, and it's not easy to do those things at all, it's, right? it's still hard to design that right. If you do that, then you will be able to take some of that intangible value that is that brand goodwill that sits between you, the brand marketer and the consumer, and put it on rails and put it into this digital asset class. And that's pretty cool because now you've just created value and it's very additive as opposed to just having to give a discount, which feels very transactional. And frankly, it's costly. So, you know, very rare are there win-wins in transactional like business context. And I think the nature of Web3 allows for these sort of accretive or win-win situations And as a marketer, that's fascinating. And if you design it right and get it right, it should not feel scary. And so that means, you know, don't just try and sell NFTs. Don't just try to extract. Don't just try to bolt this on. Like really be thoughtful about what you're trying to do with your customers and have this be an additive layer. And I think marketers get a little less scared and a little bit more willing to try things when you frame it that way. Sam, I'll just add to that. At Form 3, there there are two points. Point one is, we start with the consumer first and where the consumer has moved post-pandemic. And second, with the business and the brand. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. And we're not so evangelical about Web3. Web3 is one of the new tools that's on the block. We start with the business. So we start with the consumer and the business first. Uh, the second thing is we hear a lot from people who have broken loyalty programs. We hear a lot from people who are like, gee, can you help us? We're really interested. We believe in Web3, but our executives don't. 
And we're happy to take those calls and share what has worked for us, what worked for us at Starbucks, as well as a few other customers that have not been named. That sort of summarizes where the market is at. I'm going to quote a statistic without a reference point, which is like, people are looking in the next three years, I've heard that 80% of loyalty programs are going to be redesigned. And loyalty is under a sea change right now. And so, you know, that's where Adam and I are digging in and making a point and building a platform and a consulting practice. Amazing. Well, thank you guys both for coming on and giving us your time, giving us your wisdom and your experience. We could not have been happier to have this half hour with you guys. Sam and Avery, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Thanks, guys. Two geniuses, and I loved hearing Andy's perspective of being across tech stars, I'm sure plenty of alumni have moved from Web 1 to Web 2 to Web 3. And it's really cool to see people who've kind of been at the forefront of all of that. And I love Adam's perspective, you know, entrepreneur to marketer to executive at a Fortune 500 company to back to entrepreneur. He really got hooked on the Web 3 opportunity. And it's really cool to see these kind of folks building in this space with such a specific concrete focus and use case. I loved hearing more. What do you think, Sam? Avery, I think... It's such a like benefit that we get to speak to so many folks who are building. And I think what's really fascinating for me is the similarities of what a lot of them are building and then the differences and how each of the use cases we find. You know, when we spoke to Sophie Kelly and the story continually just rolls around in my head about her being able to sell rare whiskeys through an NFT ecosystem. And then you look at Starbucks where people like to collect stamps for the cities that they go to. You know, it's such a different use case and the technology can solve for both in really interesting and innovative ways. I know this is what you play in every day and we try to cover, but it's just, I love being able to sort of understand the nuance of the business as much as the fact that there is this sort of revolution happening and that there's still a lot of experimentation happening. And I think for a lot of brands, like Starbucks is such a pioneer in mobile ordering and loyalty. And to see them disrupting themselves was such a big move into Odyssey, you know, disrupt themselves before someone else does, I think is an inspiration for a lot of marketers, knowing not everybody has the same budgets and resources and, you know, brand equity as Starbucks. It's really awesome to see them pioneering in this space. Definitely one of the best ones out there. And using this as a mechanism to engage their community more deeply not necessarily for like commercial intent, but rather a sort of renovated loyalty program. It was great to hear Adam and Andy's conviction in this sort of loyalty use case, because I think it's a real one that we're going to see a lot of in 2023. Yeah, it feels like Consumer Web 3 is a loyalty play more than almost anything else. And I agree with you. I think that's what I'm looking at as kind of where the innovation, the attention, the interesting sort of use cases are all coming out. This year is going to be, I think, fantastic in that. And I think Andy referenced this, you know, with the SPFs, with the Luna crash and Three Arrows and all the stuff that's been kind of a lot of really negative PR in the crypto industry, that the idea of digital collectibles as a reimagination of loyalty and consumer sort of passion is the right play for most of these folks. So super excited to see that. One just contrarian take, though, that I'm curious to see how this plays out is how many custodial wallets is a user going to have? Are you going to have one across the 25 different brands that you like? That just doesn't seem sustainable to me. I think one of the really appealing things about the decentralized ecosystem of really having that self-sovereign wallet is that it can be interoperable. And then what we just talked about is a sort of custodial wallet solution, which is a little bit of an intermediary. 
I think we're going to see that play out over the next, you know, 12 to 24 months, because I think a lot of brands are going to go in the custodial wallet direction, but then our consumer is going to have 15 different wallets. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where that lands and see if that sort of creates any consumer fatigue or if it's just another login or, you know, something that you and I both believe in this sort of decentralized ecosystem where a user, if they'd like, can actually own a wallet that they bring with them across the internet in this sort of digital first reality. I mean, we should at some point do a whole show on that topic. I think that's such a smart take. And I think it's so important actually to how we move forward because if every app is in essence a new wallet, we've just replicated. Exactly, Web2. Right, and you're putting your credit card into every different place. So we'll put a pin on that for now, but let's think about that for the future. Avery, great seeing you. Love to do this with you and really excited to continue, especially as we get into the spring. Thanks so much, Sam. Thank you everybody for listening. As always, hit us up. Any questions, comments, thoughts? We want to create more interesting episodes and bring you more special guests on Gen Z. Mm-hmm.